Hi, we're John Ewan and Matthew Ewan. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ewan Twins or on Twitter at The Ewan Twins. We are the writers and creators of Serving Soups, Love Town, and Inspector O for First Comics. Uh, but you may have also seen us in Observe and Report, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, or Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And you are watching Two, Two Geeks Talking. Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people for the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We are joined today by not one, but two very amazing, talented, creative people that are both actors and comic creators as well. You're going to have a hard time differentiating. They are twins and they're the ever-talented Juan twins from John and Matt Juan. Doing great. How are you? But thank you both for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Our, our pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having us. For those that don't know anything about yourselves as, as creative and talented people that you are, tell us who you both are and what you do. We're John and Matt Ewan. Wikipedia says we're known as the Ewan Twins. That was a happy accident because that's our, like, you know, Facebook and Instagram and uh, Twitter handle. But we are probably best known for our role in Observe and Report. We were Seth Rogen's uh, flunkies in that movie. Most recently, we were on uh, Marvel's Agents of Shield. Yeah. Shield. We played Deke Shaw's keyboard uh, players in his uh, non-preemptive cover band. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he was uh, taking songs from his history and showing them off, you know, playing them before, passing them off as his own before they made their actual appearance. So he was a total rock star in that episode. <laughs> so we were his keyboard players. We also write and illustrate a bunch of comic books because we're, we're total geeks. <laughs> <laughs> we write and illustrate. We have a self-published one that is going to be soon published by First Comics uh, called Declan and Chang. And then three for First Comics, which is uh, Serving Soups, Inspector O, and Love Town. Yeah, I believe the internet also says you're both avid D&D fanatic and players as well, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> we, we've never had, like, the original, uh, I think, the white box and the pamphlets. No, no, that was a little before our time. Yeah, but we, we started with the red box. Yeah. And have played every iteration yeah, since then. But it's like, but it's not limited to D&D. It's, uh, gosh, we have played D&D. Rifts. Rifts, which is a Palladium role-playing game, role-playing game system. Paranoia. MechWarrior. The old TSR uh, Marvel superheroes, which is amazing. That was a great one. Oh, Shadowrun. Can't forget Shadowrun. Yeah, can't forget that. New 40K RPG, which is uh, Wrath and Glory. Uh, before that, it was Dark Heresy. Dabbled a little bit with the Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, but that one was just crazy. And uh, a, a little bit with the Palladium Fantasy yeah. one as well. But I mean, it's hard to beat D and D for the fantasy. Yeah, yeah, games, exactly. So. so don't a lot of times don't try. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to play a quick game of overrated underrated before we jump into our questions here. It's overrated underrated Dungeons and Dragons edition uh, character classes. And this, we're just going to go basic uh, with this okay, because okay. I am totally not a uh, D&D player. I've always wanted to, but I've never been one. Uh, so I'm very uh, in awe of creative people that, that love that type of stuff and geeks that love that type of stuff. So we'll do a quick overrated, underrated of the character classes, at least off the top of my head. We'll start off with the warrior. Overrated, underrated. Uh, 
neither i mean i think neither. everyone knows what they're getting out of a fighter yeah um, yeah it's just it, it's they're, they're the vanilla standard yeah so you're, you're getting everything that's advertised but nothing more nothing less yeah cleric hmm underrated I'm, yeah i'm gonna go with underrated yeah, yeah. like especially at lower levels where everyone is like oh you know if i get completely jacked up i'll just run to the cleric and the cleric's like okay here's one to four hit points back and you're like that's not even an arrow i'm i'm doomed thank you you have doomed us you have taken up a slot in our adventuring party you've taken a share of the treasure and you simply delayed my inevitable demise by about three seconds so but at higher levels they get to be essential and like you know oh here's a horde of undead and turn them and they disintegrate so yeah. so so they get they get sort of a, a bad rap at the beginning but yeah they eventually become very very important rogue oh rogues are i'm gonna say underrated because they're, yeah everyone's like oh you know they just pick locks they sneak around and you know their their weapon proficiencies aren't in these massive two-handed great weapons where it's like, oh, I hit you and I pile on all this damage and you're dead. But, you know, so it's like, you know, I got a short start. It's like D6. But as they progress, it's like, oh, you know, here's double damage for being in the dark. And here's an additional damage, you know, amplifier for it being a Tuesday. And, oh, and look, this person is drinking juice. That's another amplifier. And soon it's just like, okay, it's D6, but time's like 38. And, and, and you know, you add dice and all that. Yeah, it becomes stuff. really gnarly. So, and, yeah. and I think they're actually underrated by their own design. You know, they're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just a rogue. You can ignore me. Yeah. I'm going to go over to this dark corner here and uh, not do anything. Wink, wink. You know, so if, if they're underrated, it's kind of their fault, but they like it that way. Yeah. <laughs> the last one we'll do before we jump into other questions is mage slash sorcerer. Uh, you know, I, I think, think they're I, overrated. <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, they're they're, they're kind of overrated because everyone thinks like this sort of Gandalfian powerhouse. And But if you play the game the way that the rules are like stated, they've got all these different gestures and they've got to say certain things and if they get interrupted. The or in, and material gone. components. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I need... I need a pound of giant brains and it's, it's no one ever pays attention to material components and that's fine because that's, that's, it's really dumb. It's, but, it's, I mean, there would be a walking pharmacy, you know, and, uh, and it, 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 their, their shit would take up an entire wagon. So yeah. Um, so they're, they're a little overrated. Yeah. Um, yeah. But only if your dungeon master is playing by the strict rules of yeah. material, verbal and somatic components. So all right. Well, thanks for playing. I, I greatly appreciate that. I was always curious <laughs> about other people's perspectives of those of those classes. So there we go. And I've learned something new, so it works out very well. When did the acting bug, I should say, bite both of you? The the acting bug bit us um, by by accident. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. If you know us really well and you have access to all of our stuff, there's going to be a period of about. 12 years where yeah. there's no pictures of us because we were incredibly camera shy. We hated you know, having videos or film or whatever taken of us. It was not our thing. As luck would have it, we came out to LA to, to write. We were working at a post-production house for reality TV 
And one of the things that not a lot of people know about us is that we're pretty good target shooters. And we brought a silhouette back to the office. It was a joke. You know, we, we put a whole bunch of holes in the face and then a whole bunch of holes in the groin. Just to, you know, haha, you know, these are the worst places to get shot. <laughs> it looks funny, right? Yeah. And one of our co-workers took it out of our office and he taped it up to our door. And he said, he wrote, uh, who wants to fight the Ewans? <laughs> well, at the time, our boss was uh, Jody Hill, director of Observe and Report. And he takes one look at it and he says, I'll fight y'all. Yeah. And he at least a third yeah. degree black belt in Taekwondo. <laughs> and so there's no, there's yeah. no damn way we're fighting him. Yeah. <laughs> Guns or no, he's going to like whoop our asses bad. So, and, and, and we're not one of these weird types who claims to be, Oh, you know, we're, 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 we're you know, master marksmen and we'll, we'll shoot you. It's like, no, 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 no. What we know the thought of doing anything other than shooting, shooting maybe a roach uh, kind of fills us with dread. We don't, we don't want to kill anybody. Uh, or hurt anybody so we just like shooting targets it's, it's going to sound weird but it's kind of oddly zen and relaxing mm-hmm. um so we're like no no it's it's, it's not going to happen <laughs> you would kick our ass but he no. thought it, he thought we were funny yeah that, that little incident sort of put i guess the the germ of the idea in his head that we would be really funny you know i guess gun gun crazed uh, security guards years later uh, we get a call from him and he said, Hey guys, I know you don't like to do this stuff, but you're going to want to do this. And we said, and our, and our previous film experience had been, I mean, we wrote a micro budget movie that got made, but other than that, it's mainly, we were production assistants. I think we did craft services on one shoot and we were fucking awful at it. Yeah. Um, and then Matt was a boom operator on that same shoot. And I, he, I was so bad on that. That if you look up the reviews of that movie on IMDb, people will say, I think my DVD is screwed up because the sound is fucking awful. And I'm like, oh, don't don't blame the DVD, guys. That's 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 on me. Yeah. Um, so we were like, hey, man, yeah, we'll be PAs. And and Jody was like, uh, no, it's a little bit bigger than that. And so we're like, well, dude, uh, I mean. We'll be, you know, we'll, we'll work a, boom and we'll work, work someone, you know, or, or, or craft services, but you really don't want us for it. We're, we're fucking terrible at it. And he was like, uh, okay, yeah, I'm just going to stop. Yeah, no, I, I wrote roles for you two. And we're like, we're not actors. He's like, well, you are now. <laughs> After that movie, our managers, are, they weren't our managers then. Uh, but these, the assistant to the producer on set introduced us to our future managers yes. at the time. And they were like, you guys don't have any management? We can fix that. And we we're like, that's great. Yeah, and, and rest is history. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. So then comic creation, as writers, as creative people that you are, how did the comics come about? Because I'm seeing what looks like, especially with Serving Soup, some influences in, say, maybe Doonesbury and a bunch of others as well. Introduction into comics uh, started, we were working another reality TV job, and a co-worker, he was working on another show, but we shared the same office, and his name is Jared Sams. He, he had an office. He didn't have a cubicle. cubicle. He had an office. And so we went in, and we saw all these drawings that were pinned up from one of his comic books. And we're like, oh man. And we, we were joking, you know, you know, we were jokingly playing art critics saying, you know, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. And, you know, we were not at all serious, but he, he, he turns to us in, in utter seriousness, like, dudes, you gotta do your own fucking comic book. And we're like, 
we don't have the time, we don't have the discipline. And he's like, that's, that's bullshit. Because I see you, you have all these doodles on your cubicles. Like you, you, you throw your doodles up everywhere. This, this office is covered in the entire floor. There's a picture of yours somewhere, y'all, you know, like, you know, stapled or taped up somewhere. That's bullshit. So he told us that he's like, look, because I want to write comic books, but I, I couldn't afford an artist. And so the guy, Jared, taught himself how to draw. He's like, so I taught myself how to draw. You guys have no excuse. And we kind of sat there like, yeah, yeah, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah you're, you're not wrong. We kind of took that as a challenge. So we based our first comic book, uh, Declan and Chang, off of our RPG adventures with a bunch of our friends and modified the setting a little bit, obviously, because we, we didn't want to use the original RPG setting. Modified it a bit. Uh, you know, we, we had to change the characters' names up a little just because... We're like, we don't want anyone confusing our characters with real life characters. And also because there are two characters, Elvis Chang and William Billy D. Declan. And Billy D.'s name was originally something else. And I totally forgot what it was, but it just, it didn't sound as euphonious. And so we changed it. But other than that, that's what we, uh, we based our original comic on. That's how we got into comics. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. So then what is both of your creative kryptonites? Hmm. Um, I would say that working with other people yeah. um, becomes a really big problem because um, even down to the point of working with someone like a letterer, right? The script should be done by the time the art is finished, but that's not always the case with us. You know, maybe, maybe we drew someone's facial expression that evokes different wording in their dialogue or something happened and we're like, well, we don't like that sound effect, whatever. From soup to nuts, our comic books are created by us because we're very hard to work with. And I'm trying to be as polite as possible because they like me. <laughs> um, we're willing to take suggestions, but our standard for them has, is very, very high because all of these things are very personal to us. Yeah. And so if it's not just an absolutely stellar suggestion, which we have had before, it, but if it's not, then we just sort of write the person off as a complete moron and we'll have nothing, no matter what else they say, we won't listen yeah, to them. We're, we're pretty badly <laughs> judgmental that way. I have to say on my end, it's any lack of creative uh, art and artistic honesty. I don't like it when people try to either write or draw beyond their abilities because they're trying to, to copy someone else. A bad Jim Lee copy is revolting to me you know a bad whatever copy because if it's not your style if not 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 you honestly then there's no point and you're wasting the reader's time you're wasting your time one of the great things we did we used to own a comic book store and at that point these two 10 year old girls come in and they're like hey how do you make a comic book and so i'm like okay are you talking drawing and writing or printing and distributing and they're immediately like printing and distributing. She's the writer, I'm the artist. I'm like, great. Give them a couple of websites. Here are print-on-demand services. They will have the templates that you need to adhere to, have at. And about six months later, they're like, here it is. And the art, you know, would, would seem to be, you know, very... Uh, very childlike, yeah. you know, very, 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 very refrigerator drawing. Mm -hmm. But 
it was their art. It was their writing. They were not trying to be anybody else. They were trying to, they, they, they had a story. They wanted to be themselves. And it was an awesome fucking book. They did a great job. Uh, it was Emma and Marshmallow about this girl who runs away from home with this magic talking marshmallow. And it's fucking great. And so we're like, hell yeah. We're, we're, we're having a signing with you guys. And it was great. They sold out. Yeah. Those two sold out. And it's like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, nobody does that. And it's not like they brought a stack of five, you know. They, they, they brought they, a lot. They brought like 30 or 40. And, and they were selling at five bucks a pop. And we were going, we were going to take whatever was left over and put it on our shelves. And it never got to that point. Yeah. Um, I think actually by the end of the signing, there were still people showing up and they they, they were out. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like, we were like, damn. (laughs) But, but I mean, content wise, it was worth it. Matt and I bought a copy. We, I think we still have it somewhere. Yeah. It was great. So it's like, you know, whatever happens, don't, don't try to be someone else, you know? um, And that's kind of a mistake everyone makes, you know, when they're starting out because they're like, Hey, I really love like, you know, John Romita Jr. Or uh, Jack Kirby or Stanley or whoever, you know, I want to write or draw like them. You know, that's certainly how they learn, how people learn, but you have to, you have to progress beyond that. Otherwise you're just, you're fraud. So then being writers yourselves, what is the hardest part about being a writer at the beginning, the middle or the end? Uh, for, for me, it's the, the beginning of the end, because, you know, you always have that part where you're like, okay, there's gotta be something really fucking amazing or dramatic or compelling to sort of get the climax started. Yeah. That's the roughest part. Like setting everything up is cool. And you know, the end, hopefully when you start it, that way, you know, where you're sort of guiding yourself towards, but that sort of initiator of the climax is the hardest part for me. For, for me, it's both the beginning, which is outlining, and then the middle, which is trying to get from point A to point B. I'll outline, and I'm like, man, I love this. This is so great. This is amazing. And then I realize my outline is about 20 pages long. <laughs> and it's like, mm, that's probably not where I need to be. And then once I set on an outline, it's like, okay it always tends to be this great opening and this great end. And then everything in the middle is kind of like, uh, what do I do now? Shit. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on a minute. There has to be dialogue and character development and all this other stuff in here. Damn it. The, the body of a comic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. You know, looking at the, the, the works and, and thank you so much for letting me read the the versions that you, that you sent me. I, I thought they were uh, truly amazing. Oh, I, I loved everything that I, oh, I got you. to read. You know, like talking to two people at once is difficult enough as it is. <laughs> talking one on one is difficult. You're oh, doing ta- great. You're doing talking great. in general is a pain in the ass, but that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, looking at the the comics that I, at least I have listed here, and maybe th- some that I couldn't fit into the lower third. What were some of your favorites starting out, and what has been the fan reaction to maybe some that are more recent? My favorite of of ours has got to be uh, Serving Soups number five with uh, Huergen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Super Huergen, I I think is really great. I I love that one. And then uh, Serving Soups number three, I think is Double Date. Yeah. So so those two, just in terms of like sheer laughs, I think are really, really great. And I think we're the proudest of because it's pretty easy 
to get people to like, you know, go, oh, you know, you show a moist eyed puppy and, and, you know, to get them really amped up, you know, you draw a lot of guns going off and uh, explosions and shit like that. Which has its own entertainment yeah, value. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not dogging on that. Uh, but to kind of make people laugh, you know, when you have something funny mm-hmm. and it's a nice feeling because a lot of times you're like, I know this isn't funny and this is supposed to be a funny book and shit, this, this blows. Um, so, and, so yeah. And I think we also avoided the really easy pitfalls inherent in serving soups, uh, which for the listeners out there who don't know what it's about, it's about uh, two people who look disturbingly like us <laughs> uh, who serve court documents to deadbeat superheroes and supervillains. Now, the pitfalls of that are that almost everyone has deconstructed superheroes and done an amazing job doing it. You've got Pat Mills, Pat, Pat Mills and Marshall, Kevin O'Neill yeah, yeah. with martial law. That, that, that is pretty much the beginning and end of superhero, you know, deconstructing superheroes. Yeah. There, is that the, I mean, six issues and it's fucking amazing. Every sort of deconstruction since then has relied, I think, very heavily upon that template that they both built. And so we didn't want to emulate and then fail at that. Yeah, yeah. and so that's not that's not the job of it. Serving Soups is more of a workplace comedy um, that happens to have superheroes. I guess in much the same way as Lower Decks mm-hmm. is yeah. Star- ostensibly Star Trek, but yeah. it's more just... It's more fan, more really, really great fan service. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so with the fans as the cast. Our goal was to just have a workplace comedy, but with superheroes in sort of the background. And I think we really hit all the right notes in those two issues, uh, three and five. What it was an underappreciated comic that you both maybe first couldn't get into, but later on in life, you thought, man, this is really good. Why did I sleep on it? Without a doubt. Um, I know we just got done waxing poetic about that, but martial law. Martial law, yeah. Um, like, Jesus. I mean, like, the, the number of... Now, 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 we appreciate that one right off the bat. We, we really now, got into that one. We um, couldn't get into it because we were too young to buy it. Yeah. That yeah. did not stop us. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we had, we had, you know, it, it was almost like, you know, the nerdy kid in American Graffiti trying to get liquor. Um, uh, toad. Toad, yeah. Uh, toad, and then, the, you know, the, the gunman. She's like, here, kid, and throws him a, you know, bottle of scotch. Uh, it's Old like, Harper. Yeah, we were... Uh, you know, we would get friends who were old enough to buy us martial law. And when we had all six issues, we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to say, no, 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 in terms of underrated, like, you know, maybe ones that, because because we tend we tend to be very enthusiastic in everything we get into, mm-hmm. um, but we love Tom DeFalco's run on Thor and then Thunderstrike. That is underrated. Um, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, it's like, uh, Thunderstrike especially was such a great series. Like there's, you know, because uh, Eric Masterson replaces Thor for a while, and then he gets the magic hammer, some magic mace. But there's like this one storyline where Hercules comes by, and he's like, "Eric Masterson, you you suck as a superhero. I'm here to teach you because I'm fucking Hercules. I'm fucking great." And it is the best odd couple arrangement ever because Eric Masterson's like, "Look, you can't be doing this shit because." You know, I'm, I, I may be losing my son in a divorce settlement. And, you know, if, if there are superheroes hanging around, I'm going to look like a total asshole. And it's just great. We were talking about it. John brought this up. But the sort of, like, surfer bro persona that Thor has in the movies mm-hmm. is very much what Hercules was in that storyline. Like, yeah. 
Thor was always sort of like this. He's straight laced. He yeah, like, he was like this very stand up, noble, yeah. you know, thou art, you know. And Hercules was like, dude, you know, come on. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's throw a few back. And then he, you know, fight Hydra, you know, drunk as a lunatic. Um, so, like, the whole, yeah, the whole Marvel Universe Thor that they have now was actually, I guess, Tom DeFalco and Ron Frenz's Hercules. Well, even back in the day, he, I mean, like, you know, Hercules was always just kind of this blowhard, so, but yeah. But, but, but he was especially bro in yeah in the Thunderstrike yeah. era. So, um, that's, that's another one. Then, gotta say that Evan Dorkin, anything he does, you gotta figure that Hectic Planet, formerly Pirate Corps, is pretty much the storyline for Futurama. You know, this kind of slacker kid uh, is part of a Interplanetary. Interplanetary shipping slash smuggling service. Hectic Planet was just fucking brilliant. And, um, and decades before. Yeah, I, I think it came out like in the 90s. And, and not that we're slagging Futurama. No, because Futurama's it, definitely it's good. very funny. It's good, yeah. But the humor in uh, Hectic Planet was so much smarter. It, it was a very smart, dramatic, beautifully drawn series. Yeah, I mean, like, there's one entire episode where uh, it's Halby and Blue are to the characters Halby's kind of the slacker but they get lost in a supermarket and you think okay it, it's going to be how how can you spend 24 28 pages lost in a supermarket and have it be compelling and funny and dramatic and it's all of those it's just it's just fucking great then to round out our, our list you know honestly anything Steve Purcell does uh the his Gumby comics were amazing um, especially his uh, winter fun special mm -hmm. where Gumby and Pokey rescue Santa Claus from hell. <laughs> yeah. And it's fucking great <laughs> with the help of the uh, little mole girl, <laughs> yeah. the littlest mole girl. What was an early experience where you both learned that language had power? Oh God. Uh, that would definitely had to have been our brother. Yeah. He, he sadly passed away uh, 10 years ago. But uh, when we were growing up, he, you know, most older brothers, it's like, hey, you know, run, I'm going to stick you in a bucket and kick you down a hill. And, and he never did that. He, he, was, he was like 90% of the time a really great older brother. You know, he was not, you know, bullying or, you know, belittling or domineering in any way. But, but that 10% of the time he couldn't help but really kind of like, you know, let us be mischievous. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so like, so for example... When, uh, because we, we would hang out with the cops, they'd just tag along, and he loved going to the bookstore. And of course, when you're like eight or nine, you get bored really easily. And so we would be like in the bookstore and we're like, okay, we've already read all the comic books that we can, and you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. And instead of saying, you know, quit being little bitches or hey, you know, I brought you here, what you know, what the fuck or whatever, you know, he, he never, he never really lost his temper like that. He would get this look in his eye, and then he'd sit there and say, why do you hate literacy? <laughs> and we kind of knew what literacy meant, and we knew it was kind of a good thing, but we didn't hate it. And like, But it was like this weird little you know, construct that he would just like throw at us. Why do you hate literacy? And we're like, uh, uh, we, we, we don't, but I'm bored, so I do. No, wait. Oh, shit. And so, yeah, it did like cause this weird little logic loop in our heads. So we're like, wait a minute. He's fucking with us. <laughs> I, I would say it would be our earliest moment where we realized that words were pretty powerful things. <laughs> Looking at what you created so far, 
and uh, what you plan to create in the future that maybe you haven't aren't, aren't talking about just yet. What are some of the themes that have spoken to you both as as writers and creative people? Largely, I would say, I mean, and I'm not trying to be funny here, self-entertainment, that we tell stories that we would like to see told. Our publisher, Ken F. Levin, is always telling us that none of our stuff is like anything we've done previously, which is true because we're, we're not very disciplined. And so we tend to ping pong around from theme to theme, like, you know, we're, we'll, like Love Town, you know, kind of the subtext is there's a little bit of social justice there. You know, you have these, uh, you know, vampires and ghouls, werewolves. They're not, you know, they're, they're definitely more than, than human, but they're an underclass because they're viewed with a very jaundiced eye. And so it's like, you know, is that race relations? Is that the AIDS epidemic? You know, what, what is it? That's kind of up to the reader. Um, you know, serving soups, like Matt said, it's just a pure workplace comedy. You know, there's nothing beyond it other than like maybe hope springs eternal, even in the dumbest of people, uh, which those characters definitely are. And Inspector O just kind of arose because when we were kids, we would watch uh, all those um, Hong Kong uh, action movies, mm-hmm. and that sort that stuff sort of sort of stuck with us. As we got older, we would see other comic books, and it would be about like you know Jimmy, Chinese samurai. And you're like, ah, geez, come on, man. Um, <laughs> I, I know that geographically they're somewhat close, and there are some there's there, there, similarities yeah. and all of this stuff. But, but get your shit straight, <laughs> please. Please just, yeah, don't, don't do this. And, you know, and then on the other opposite extreme, you had people who took it so seriously that it sucked all the joy out of it. And you're like, I appreciate that you're trying to get things accurate, but let's not get carried away. Let's not forget the artistry and the soul behind it. Yeah. And so Inspector O was meant to be sort of like that happy medium where, yes, they're Chinese, Yes, I know that at one point they're using chopsticks, which don't happen technically until about 200 years after the story takes place. But they also reference Clarence Clearwater Revival, so shut up. Generally, like, I would say John's summation is correct, whatever entertains us. Growing up, we had so many different uh, entertainment influences. Um, Our mom loved comedies and horror movies, so... Anytime. Yeah, I mean, so we saw Alien when it came out in the theater. Yeah, Alien when it came out in the theater. And I think at the time we were like six. Yeah, Up in Smoke was the first VHS tape that she bought. Yeah. Our dad was in love with action movies. So. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, hey, you, you gotta see this. And it's like Commando Predator. Yeah, he was like, oh, it's amazing. Like, the last 20 minutes, it's just nothing but people dying. And we're like, okay. And at which point we're like, wait a minute, you came home from work. <laughs> what were you doing all day? <laughs> And then, and then our brother brought us to see everything else. You know, yeah. Like, uh, you I know. mean, who who brings their eight-year-old brothers to see, you know, the French New Wave mm-hmm. retrospective at, you know, the Inwood Theater? And that's the sort of brother he was. As far as, like, what entertains us, everything entertains us. And I guess that's where we get our sort yeah. of disparate uh, storylines. You can tell. You, you definitely, there's hints <laughs> of things and everything that I've read there as well, too. And and I love, I love what you're creating. I truly do. It's, I can't wait to see what you do next. So you have a fan. So not just, oh, because, you, you. Not just because you're both on the show, but you, you do have a fan because I do enjoy <laughs> your, your actual 
your comics and your work as well, too. What is the most misunderstood aspect when you tell someone you're a writer? I think one of the most misunderstood aspects of writing, of being a writer, is that a lot of people assume that you have to be this tortured soul that hates everything that <laughs> they turn out. We love it. You know, it, it, it's not, you know, I'm not saying it's not difficult. It is. It can be incredibly difficult at times. It is, but like, it is work, yeah. You have these people who, you know, and there are countless, countless, you know, like comic strips and memes about how, oh my God, I, how I've suffered. This is so terrible. It's like ripping at my soul. It's like, look, you know, maybe if you're doing, maybe if it's that friggin' difficult for you, maybe you're just not good at it. Um, <laughs> or if you need therapy, find, find something else to do. Jesus. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, writing should be an expression, you know, wh whether the story is dramatic or, you know, tragic or comedic or whatever, it should be an expression of your joy at creation. It, it's almost like people who have kids. And then they're like, well, I didn't want children. It's like, well, then why did you do it? You know, you should be, you, you know, if you have kids and you should want them, you should love them and stuff like that. It's like, same with writing. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult. We had a really, really hilarious uh, exchange on social media with someone. And they're talking about how writing even a page is like, you know, tearing their fingernails out. And we, we were just like, look, you know, it's, it shouldn't be that way. It, you, you should you should take joy in it and you know just have fun creating stuff. And they immediately shot back. It's obvious you've never created a single thing in your life. And I'm like, okay, sure, whatever, whatever gets you through the day. Um, because it was so tempting to have a "Do you know who I am?" moment, but. That <laughs> There's never a time where you can say, do you know who I am and not be the dick? Yeah. It's like, that's a total asshole thing to say. But at that point, you kind of want to be the asshole. But th that, I think, is the biggest myth is that people think that to be a writer, you have to be like this, or to be an artist of any stripe. You have to be like this Vincent Van Gogh where every other day you're chopping your own ear off. And that's really not the case. I mean, Vincent Van Gogh is just mentally ill. Um, I don't think he did it because he hated his artwork. Or he might have, but dudes hearing voices and stuff that's not good the other is the the biggest misconception that people have when they hear that we're writers is the notion that we need ideas we appreciate it but no i shouldn't write a story about that dream that you had because i i go to sleep every night and i have dreams of my own and <laughs> we're good thank you yeah i mean and seriously it's like if you're offering ideas to other writers do it yourself you know, I mean, like, it's not a challenge, it's not, you know, us being, you know, leave me alone, peasant. Uh, it's not that at all. Uh, the means of production have gotten to be incredibly common. And so it's like, you know, it, it costs nothing to write. You've got self-publishing everywhere. Yeah. Am Amazon does that thing where they'll print your book on demand. Yeah. At the very, very least, you have, everyone has paper and pen. There's nothing stopping you from creating. And, you know, maybe some people don't have a talent for it, but it doesn't hurt to try. You never know until you try. Yeah. At what point are we good enough? The, the answer to that is when you think you are. Don't create for other people. I guess that's a quick way to get to that point where you hate yourself for your art. Don't chase other people's opinions because you'll wind up being a horrifying little bottom feeder. Um, do it for yourself, you know. Everyone's born with a BS detector. Use it on yourself. And, but don't be too hard. And when you realize that you're good enough, then 
that's great. I don't think very many people get to that point Mm-mm. where they're like, I'm good enough at, at what I'm doing, but yeah, they're either delusional in excess of their abilities or too self-deprecating and they let it hold them back. Yeah. So, so um, you're good enough when you say you're good enough. What is the second wisest piece of advice someone has ever said to you both that has stuck with you in your career? I would say it was William, William Goldman. Goldman. Yeah. We called him up. We, because uh, we worked at the Austin Film Festival, we had access to his information. He's a great guy. And we talked to him a couple times on the phone, but once, uh, once we had left the film festival, we gave him a call. We were like, hey, we have a screenplay. Can you, uh, would you mind reading it, giving us some pointers? The succinct version of his advice was keep on trucking. Uh, he, he did say that. He was like, just keep on trucking. But the long version was, he was like, look, I can't, legal reasons. Everyone says I won't sue you until there's a million dollars on the table. And then the lawsuits come out. But he was like, uh, just, just keep writing. Everything you write in your first, you know, he's like your first two, three, four, even five screenplays are going to be garbage. But you don't get better if you don't keep on doing it. It's no guarantee you'll get better, but you can't, you know, if you, if you don't. Yeah. yeah. So um, um, Matt Wagner had some very similar yeah. advice. He said the first 100, 120 pages, depending on how good or how bad you are, are going to be crap. Yeah. Um, but after that, you're going to get you're going to get to be really good. Yeah, you're going to get so, your workflow now, and you're going to figure out how anatomy works, perspective, and all this other stuff. So when you've got Matt Wagner and William Goldman telling you, yeah, essentially the same thing, you know, just it's yeah, probably pretty good advice. Yeah, just just keep on trucking. <laughs> Everyone has one person that inspired them on their path. Who was that for you? Like creative, like creative professional, I would say. Honestly. Evan Dorkin, like in terms of comic books, Evan Dorkin, because when we first read Hectic Planet, uh, it's called, you know, like I know it's called Pirate Corps back then. It was the first time we realized that comic books could be something other than people and types that could tell a story that could tell it um, compellingly and convincingly. Martial law was great but it was still superheroes. And then of course, like uh, all the Marvel and DC comics that we had read beforehand was, were, were great, but they were essentially just people in types, but Evan Dorkin with Hectic Planet and even Milk and Cheese. So it's just like, oh my God, you know, this, this stuff can be so much more than superhero yeah, stupidity. Yeah, than what we've been exposed to thus far. Um, as far as like movies and acting and stuff, um, definitely Jody Hill. He really busted his ass to get his first movie made, um, Foot Fist Way. Yeah. You know, you're, you're talking about a guy who came to Hollywood looking for opportunities and then just wound up making, making, his, own. <laughs> yeah, making his own. So, like, I mean, and now he's got, like, a deal with HBO. He, you know, he's got several TV uh, series under his belt, several movies. Yeah. He's just, just an amazing guy, but he never lost that grounded you know, down to earth personality that he's always had. He's, he's you know, we, we still talk to him once in a while and he's still just, he's still Jody. Jody, you know, he's, <laughs> he's a really great guy. So, so yeah. From a professional perspective, you have both written for, for TV and films and you've acted as well too. You have also created some amazing comics and I'm sure you're going to create many more in the future. So 
professionally you're successful in that regard. Do you consider yourselves personally successful? Personally, are, are we personally successful? Um, I would say we're happy. So, you yeah. know, we got no complaints. Um, successful, I don't know. People aren't throwing, you know, free Lamborghinis at us, so... But that's more professional, so... Yeah, yeah, uh, but... Uh, hmm. You know, yeah, like, like, like we're... We're normally not that introspective. We, uh, you know, our, our go-to is self-deprecating humor. Mm -hmm. um, mainly because we don't like... Unlike when we were kids, we were fucking awful kids. But when we, when you know, now nowadays, it's like, look, it's, it's almost like the Ricky... Or the Desi Arnaz school of comedy, which is you can't make fun of anyone for anything they can't help. And so Matt and I try to make fun of anyone else for things that they can't help. So we make fun of ourselves. With that in mind, we haven't ever really given much thought to whether or not we're successful. I don't know. I, I think maybe... No. I'm just going to say no. Just yeah, to say Yeah, I don't like, know. Yeah. Otherwise, it sounds like we're bragging. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that's a call. That's a judgment call for other people to make, you know, whether it, we are or not, it's not up to us to say. You might as well ask us, uh, so are, are you a futurist? Are you a genius? I, we don't get to say that. Yeah. <laughs> that's for other people to decide, so... Well, you know, if it shows up on our Wikipedia article, we're fine. We'll yeah. say, oh, hey, it says we're successful. Okay, By the way, they personally have achieved whatever it is that humans are supposed to accept. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair enough. The reverse of success is failure. How do you deal with your failures? Okay, uh, that's, that's just pretty easy. Um, I put in a deep, dark hole and bury it and never speak of it again. <laughs> <laughs> we, we use it as a learning uh, process. Yeah, a story I will often tell is so I'm working on the second story arc for Love Town. I have outlined it six or seven times. I have started on a script for various issues about five times. I've written an, an aggregate of probably about nine issues for that. It's only supposed to be a four issue story arc, four or five, and have drawn at least seven pages for it that will never be used because the story has changed. So those could all definitely be considered failures. But that having been said, it's like, meh. I learned what pitfalls to avoid. Uh, I learned that, you know, a lot of this art, this is where I'm rushing. This is where I, I paid too much attention. My composition's terrible. And so hopefully, I, you know, knock on wood, I won't repeat that uh, mistake. So, yeah, uh, you know, failures are just an opportunity to learn. Uh, I, I think that's where uh, we've sort of taken our writer, the writer aspect of ourselves and put it into our, the rest of our lives. If you fail at something, you know, that's, that's what second drafts are for. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it doesn't really matter. Like, unless it's something, you know, existential, like I failed at opening my parachute. It, there's nothing out there that's so horrible that's, yeah you can't recover from it and just do it over. I mean, there's a few things, but like I said, those are existential and you learn to deal. The younger generation is looking at your works and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's as a comic writer or a writer for TV or film, or maybe even as an actor, who knows what they would like to be creative in. How can they inspire the generation that follows them? Don't be assholes. <laughs> Uh, like the, the number of people who are, have crawled so far up their own asses that they turn every conversation into a, you know, puff piece about their own existence is just tiresome. 
you know, if someone asks you for advice, you know, always predicated with this is what worked for me because uh, like, you know, people will ask us, how do you become actors? We're like, we have no friggin' idea. This is how we did it. Um, and then we offer the best advice we can. There are a few creators. We've, we've been fortunate not to meet too many of them, but there are some out there that will just sit there and talk endlessly about themselves when you sat there and said, Hey, how's the weather? <laughs> you know, as far as like being nice people, John boy Myers is an incredibly nice guy. Yeah. You go up, you talk to him, you ask him, you know, so how did you do this? And, you know, he, he will tell you, this is, you know, the software I use, the hardware I use. This is, you know, how, how yeah. I did it. He's not holding on to any state secrets, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Anna Ferris is a super, super yes. nice person. We were at the premiere to observe a report at South by Southwest. We get on the stage. Now we're, the two of us are on stage with, Danny McBride, Ray Liotta, <laughs> Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. No one gives a shit about who these two and, and Honestly, are. they shouldn't have. They should not give a shit about who we work with. Right. As, like, you know. who, who cares? Like, this is our very first movie. Like, no one knows us. And, you know, we, we fully expected to go out there, wave goodbye. Yeah. But the audience is asking questions, and Anna Ferris stops and says, wait, 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 before anyone else says anything else, you know, I just want the audience to know that these two here have the most extensive zombie survival plan I have ever heard. You got to ask them about it. And she didn't need to do that. Yeah. But she did. And she's, I mean, like, I, we, we owe a lot of people a kidney, but she's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, she, she sat there and like deliberately took the attention away from herself and put it on us. Yeah. You know, and so, and, I mean, she's, so all of those like stories that you see of like Anna Ferris being super cool, they're all true. true. Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, they probably play it down a little bit so that you know people will believe it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, so, so just generally, just be a nice person and be helpful. Um, I know we're probably running a little low on time, but we got to tell this story. Oh, please. Um, we were on set with Henry Winkler, who, mm. contrary to popular myth, popular myth being that he's a really nice guy. Contrary to that, no, he's super super nice he's a really really fucking great guy but we're having lunch on set and he's like asking questions of everybody about like you know oh you know who are you where do you come from so forth and so on and he, it gets to us and we tell this joke because you know once again self-deprecating humor mm. we're like yeah um well let's see we're we're actually pretty bad at math math matt is a really good driver and we only speak one language which is english and you know, it's not very good at that. So we're, uh, yeah, we're pretty shitty Asians. And, you know, the table laughs. It's, it's a funny joke. Except Henry Winkler, he just goes, oh, no, 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 no. You're, 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 you're great Asians. You're great guys. He, he was very genuinely hurt. Yeah, he was distressed that we were like, yeah. You know, we were like, we didn't mean to, like, upset you. But, but he, yeah, great. So great guy. Um, but. And once again, just just be nice, and you know. Uh, because if you're nice and you're famous, that sort of reinforces the whole notion that good things happen to good people, and yeah. that is the most inspirational thing we can think of. Yeah. If you could create a comic book, and or a film slash TV series, what would the title of your comic book or film be, and what would be the soundtrack? Ooh, okay, soundtrack. Uh, uh, okay. Now, we will have to admit, titles are our 
weak spot. There are Achilles. I, yeah. When you said what's your kryptonite, I should have answered titles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see, titles, we'll just call it John and Matt, the most successful beloved figures in history, a true story. Soundtrack, Lester Bangs would kill us for this, but it would have to have some pretenders on it. Yeah. Michael Penn, he, he's great. Roy Orbison, uh, Roy Orbison is fucking amazing. We only are leaving out Nick Cave because the zero effect already made such great music. Yeah, yeah. Um, can't, you can't, can't really top that. Me. Mavericks. Yeah, Mavericks, Roll Mallow. God, the guy could fucking read a, uh, sing a phone book and we would listen to that. Um, Chris Isaac. Chris oh, Isaac. yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, Katie Lang. Katie Lang, only motherfucker we know out there who is live in concert, doesn't need a fucking microphone. Like, she was belting out those notes. Microphones out beyond her arm's reach and everyone in the back row can still see here. Yeah, her. it's not like she's holding it like this, where like- She's holding out like that. Like, yeah. Here, she's holding it away from herself like a, you know- like a Harry Potter one, yeah. yeah. Maybe some early Elvis Costello. He's really good. Yeah, that stuff. I, he, once he probably fucking murder me because he's like, no, it's all good. Uh, early Tom Waits, Magnetic Fields, and I know that this is an egotistical move because it's already been used perfectly. But we would have to grab stuff from Fire Incorporated because, oh. yeah, hot damn, Streets of Fire is awesome. Yes, yeah. Streets of Fire has the. Streets of Fire is like one of the perfect soundtracks. So we're just going to throw it out there. Nice. Well, John and Matt, I do hate to say this, but that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. I want to thank you both for coming on the show. No, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. I mean, you, you could have very easily have said, hey, you two, you're, you're awful people. You're narcissistic shitheads. Fuck off. But you didn't. And we appreciate that. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be doing this for 14 years if I said that or else I'd have my guests. <laughs> Before I let you both go, where can we find you and how can we support you both online and uh, on the internet? Um, you can find us on Instagram. Uh, I believe our handle is at you and twins. Yeah. Facebook is at you and twins. Twitter is at the, the you and twins. twins. I don't know yeah. why we made that change. But. Um, and then uh, typically if there are any conventions around uh southern california area uh, we, we go to phoenix fan fusion every year uh but we're usually at san diego comic-con comic-con revolution ontario um and level can, up and uh amazing las vegas comic-con both in las vegas uh, and you can find us anywhere uh, that first comics is found yeah um as their newly appointed deputy publishers we are easily reached through any of our social media or first comics official website which will be launching soon i just want to if i could throw that in the show notes or whatever oh no yeah i know we wish uh um like, there is a shopify site but there's no real communication through that but uh, first comics does have a facebook page well like i said thank you both so much for coming on the show greatly appreciate it you can of course find this interview and a thousand plus others on our website tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com and of course on our YouTube channel which is a lot more updated than our website because I'm only one person which is youtube.com forward slash tgtmedia and as I say every week everyone has a story to tell it's up to me to help bring that out thanks for listening and watching on Two Geeks Talking